the gospel is meant to be the headwaters of our life in everything that we're doing, whether it's in in reading the word or praying or uh, spending time in the presence of God. Like we want to be remembering the gospel. We want to be remembering the reason that we are even a part of the family of God in the first place, because it is the power of salvation for those who believe. Before we get started, I want you guys to know that Austin and I just loved making this episode. We talked for a long time, so we made the decision to split this up into two episodes. Uh, So this episode is the first half of the conversation, and then I'll release the second half next week. Just letting you guys know, back to the show. A root is the part of a plant that attaches to the ground or to a support, stabilizing and nurturing the rest of the body. And in Christ's church, there are roots as well. Scriptures, wisdom, and testimonies that testify to the character of God. They root us to Christ, stabilizing us because it is He who is doing the stabilizing. And in these episodes, we study the truth. We talk about scripture, we talk about culture, we talk about Christian living. But the one thing we want to encourage you vehemently to do is to seek out the truth for yourself. Go to the Bible, read the text, and pray that God might open your eyes to see him for who he really is. Let your maker root you to himself. But first, I am going to introduce the guest for today's episode. Today, I am beyond blessed to feature my good friend, Austin Fry. We met several months ago when I started working at Focus on the Family. We worked together, and he loves the word and the God that wrote it. Um, Austin, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great. So excited to be here. Uh, thank you so much. Just uh, you're you're a great host. You make the prep <laughs> for this is like so uh, easy and so oh, wow. light, and like you you like totally bring down my stress if I ever if I had any. And so so excited to be chatting about this today. Well, I appreciate that so much. Austin and I actually tag teamed today's episode. We did a lot of prep. Talking about, uh, let's just reference the title of this episode, 10 Simple Habits to Abide. What the heck does that mean? We are going to be talking about these habits, 10 simple habits that you can practice in your life to purposefully abide in Christ. We're going to call these habits, Habits of Grace from here on out. So here's going to be the outline for today's episode. First, we're going to define Habits of Grace. What does Habits of Grace even mean? We're going to discuss why you should care about that, and then we're going to get into the 10 practical and simple habits that can help you abide in Christ. And again, just want to give a big shout out to Austin for doing a lot of the legwork on this prep. Super excited to get this thing going. Um, But first, we're going to define habits of grace. Habits of grace are made up of two things that me and Austin have kind of found out. Habits of grace are habits in which you, number one, abide in the true vine, and two, this abiding leads to transformation. So habits in which you abide in the true vine and are transformed. Mm -hmm. That's the definition we're going to be working with for what is a habit of grace. Um, Let's just kind of hop into why these habits are important and why it's important to make disciplines in our Christian faith to apply the grace of God to our lives. Not that 
things we do will give us the grace of God because the grace of God has been given to every believer, but that these habits actually just awaken us to the truth of that grace and they help us realize who God is and what God's done. And that does transform us. That's why this abiding leads to transformation. So that's what these habits are about. Let's discuss the importance. Uh, Here are some scriptures for the importance of abiding in the true vine and why we need to make habits out of these. Austin, I'm going to pass the ball to you and let you talk about some scriptures for why it's important that we find out what to do to abide in the true vine. Yeah. So for those of you who uh, are catching the reference, we... uh, talking about abiding in the true vine. That is language that Jesus used with his disciples in the upper room right before he goes to the cross that in John 15. But uh, And so we're going to read that in a second. But before I read that, I want to read John 17, 3 in his high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying this right uh, before he's arrested. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life isn't really a ticket to heaven. That is a a result of the eternal life that we have. But according to John 17 and according to Jesus, life itself is knowing God and knowing Jesus. And that's experientially, relationally, like being with him and knowing him, believing in him. And so we have received that because uh, we have come to Christ. We have believed that he is the son of God, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We've accepted that propitiation for our sins so that we have been saved from the wrath of God that we so deserved and have been brought into grace, into eternal life, because we now have total access to the Father, to God himself, who is life. Just a little bit of all of that, that's just such an amazing thing to remind myself all the time. But now that we we have been saved, we have this eternal life through our relationship and fellowship with Jesus, we begin to experience that eternal life. That's what I believe John 15 is is trying to communicate in in kind of an overarching way. We're going to John 15 verses 1 through 17, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. 
you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go bear, go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So that was a big chunk of scripture. Thanks for hanging in there with us. <laughs> um, but Jesus is actually walking through towards like the garden of the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples in this moment. And he, they're probably passing like vines. And so he's just pointing over to the side of the path that they're walking on and saying, look at this. I am the true vine. I have all the nutrients that you may need. Just remain in me, remain connected in me. And he lists like several ways that we do that. We, we remain in him himself. We remain in his love. We remain in his words. Those are the three ways. So that's the first reason that we want to talk about habits for practically doing that. Like we talk about, this is an analogy that Jesus is using uh, of remaining in a vine, like a branch remains in a vine. Uh, so staying connected, but what are some ways that we can actually do that? And that's what habits of grace are. So that's the first one. And uh, the second one, I will let Alex take away unless yes. you have some thoughts on abiding. No, I think just to wrap up why it's important to find practical ways to abide, basically because Jesus said so, right? He just yeah. said, abide in me, remain mm. in me. And I think where I can get tripped up as a Christian with verses like this is like, what does that even like mean practically? How mm. do I remain in you? So all this John 15 and even like John 17, I love the progression of we're saved, now remain. You have been cleansed because of my word now remain in my love. Mm -hmm. So the reason why it's important, all the scriptures, just to say, it's important to figure out how to abide because Jesus said so. And that our joy might be complete. It says at the end of that John 15 verse, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So it's for our joy. It's for our good. It's for our yes. betterment. So that's why it's important to abide. But again, like I said, I get tripped up with like, what does that even look like? So that's why it's important for us to define what does that actually mean? And what are some practical habits we can actually use to abide? Um, point number two of what makes up a habit of grace. If you guys remember our definition, a habit of grace is a habit in which you abide in the true vine and from that habit are transformed. So why is it important that we are transformed? Um, basically, transformation just means in this context, beholding the Son of God by the Spirit of God and having that transform us into the likeness of God or closer to the likeness of God. Jesus is the believer's all-sufficient source of all the power that we need for this fruit bearing and this transformation. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What do these verses mean? Let's break it down. The Second Corinthians verse, at the very end, basically it just shows us being revealed to the glory of God, or more accurately, the glory of God being revealed to us. It just says what happens when that happens. When we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed. 
into the same image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. First of all, that's a really cool way to describe sanctification. It doesn't sound like a burden. It sounds like epic, like one degree of glory to another. That's super cool. Um, So along with this abiding, when we abide, we experience the glory of the Lord and then we're transformed. So a good way of looking at this verse and why it's important is because if there is a habit that you're practicing and it's not transforming you into the image of God, it's not a habit of grace. It's not a habit that you should continue thinking is making you more like Jesus. Like if you look at yourself and ask your community, if they see you not being sanctified, not continuing in holiness, not being transformed into the same image of God, look at the habits you have implemented and maybe make a change. That's what this verse is saying. Is basically saying, if you're not being transformed, you're not seeing the glory of the Lord. So that is why it is important to abide in Christ and be transformed by that abiding. So now that we've really defined it and hopefully just hammered home why it's important to pay attention to this stuff, let's get to the 10 practical habits of grace that we can implement into our lives practically and discipline ourselves to abide in Jesus and be transformed by his presence. So mainly we just want to talk about practical habits that are seen in the life of Jesus and also practical habits that we have in our own brains through the guidance of the Spirit, hopefully, come up with to try and help people in the modern-day context. So I'm just going to hand it over to Austin to get us started on habit number one. Sweet. So the first one we call application of the gospel, or I like to refer to it as gospel saturation. Uh, So really, this one is going to end up hopefully being a part of and integrated in all of the other habits of grace to back up, give some context. uh, If you read uh, the book of Ephesians, it's amazing how Paul breaks down for the church of Ephesus, how your entire life flows from the gospel. He repeats the gospel to them. He explains the depth of it, how you've been chosen. You were predestined. And it was, it was because of his love for you, both Gentiles and Jews And then in the later chapters of Ephesians, that's where Paul gets into what does that even mean for your life? So to summarize it, the gospel is meant to be the headwaters of our life uh, and also the testimony of our life. But what we mean mostly by application of the gospel is in everything that we're doing, whether it's in in reading the word or praying or uh, spending time in the presence of God Like we want to be remembering the gospel. We want to be remembering the reason that we are even a part of of the family of God in the first place, because it is the power of salvation for those who believe. Mm -hmm. And that's not not just salvation for us into God's family. It is, it's also for our sanctification. That's why Jesus says, abide in me and let my words abide in you. Let my love abide in you. And that total total revelation of the character of God, of the love of God is in the cross. And uh, there are so many themes in scripture that describe uh, the gospel. It's like living water. It's like a seed that grows up. It's like Jesus is our great high priest. And all of those things are actually methods for how we are healed inside of us. So we want the gospel to be always a part of our life because it is how we are connected to our life, which is in Jesus. Um, 
Alex, anything else you want to say about yeah. application of the gospel? The reason, yeah, this the reason it's number one on this list is because the gospel is the lifeblood of the Christian. It's like mm. the entire reason we want to practice some of these habits. And it's important that we discuss the application of the gospel as the first and most important habit because if we don't, the rest of these habits are slowly but surely going to treat themselves as works in our life. I know me, I have very legalistic tendencies. So when I hear like, oh, a practical thing for me to do to get close to God, let me work my heart out so I can win the (laughs) approval of God. You know, but Mm -hmm. if we are applying the gospel to not only every situation in our life, but also applying it to every single work we do for God, with God, concerning God, we realize we're going to heaven. God has placed his approval on us. God has placed his mm-hmm. love on us. So regardless of whether or not we really succeed or really fail at any of these habits or really anything in our life, if we trust Jesus, if we believe he is who he says he is, and we trust in him to be our righteousness, we're going to heaven. And God is for us. And Applying that gospel is so important in our life in every single moment because it's our lifeblood. And also, before we get into any habits, please don't make this legalistic. Know that you're loved. Know that like these habits are just like what that verse was talking about earlier, Austin, that our joy might be full and that we might abide and like we might experience the love of God. Who doesn't want to experience the love of Jesus? That's what these habits are for is to experience God's love, not to work a certain amount to make a dent in our sinfulness. We we just have been saved, you know, and that's where this comes from. Before we go into habit number two, I love that you brought that up. Just brings you back to John 15, verse nine. It says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And so if we think about that from the, the gospel, like knowing the narrative of the gospel of how God loved us before the creation of the world, he predestined for us to be drawn into his family. He chose us and he chased after us. He sent his son to die for us. Uh, And so it's like, you are already loved. When we decide to do any of these things, like that is out of the place that, man, I was loved by God and I've been brought into his his family and I want to know him. Uh, And so now I want to remain in him. So I love that you brought that up. These are absolutely not ways to kind of stoke your our perfectionist ego i'm kind of speaking mm-hmm. to myself uh <laughs> but just ways for us to receive life and then I'll, I'll just give one quick example of how i've just applied the gospel in my life uh, a lot of times it's in my own emotional health and prayer i get, came home one night and i was just debating between spending time with the lord or just playing some video games i was probably going to play uh, a legend of zelda game or something And uh, so I was thinking about that and I had this eerie feeling inside of me that was like, like, I don't want to really spend time with the Lord. I feel like I'll be disappointed. As soon as I realized that, I was like, whoa, like, why, why do I think if I'm going to be with the Lord right now, I'm going to be disappointed. So I had this perception of God as not satisfying, not really good because I didn't believe that he would, that he wanted to show up for me. It didn't matter if whether or not in that situation, I felt God, because there's gonna be times where we don't feel that. And that's totally fine. But I had this perception of God's intentions for me, that he didn't want good things for me, which is totally opposite to the gospel. So the gospel totally healed that lie inside of me, because God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me, so that I may have eternal life in him. Uh, and that he would lavish his love upon me for all of eternity. 
he is such a good father because he wants that many mm-hmm. good things for me. Yeah, I love that. Uh, let's move on to habit number two. The second habit, uh, right after applying the gospel to every single part of your life, including these habits, is time in God's word. God has revealed his will to us and his character in his word and how we abide in him very practically is just spending time in what he has chosen to say. Um, Specifically, we said at the beginning that we were drawing um, partially from the habits seen in the life of Jesus. So we see Jesus practicing time in the word a lot, actually. We see in Luke 4.16, he goes to Nazareth and he goes up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. He stood up to read God's word. Luke 24, 27 uh, says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's talking about Moses and the prophets, and he's like, look at the scripture and look where it relates to me, Jesus Christ. John 5, 39, uh, he references the scriptures. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So that verse, I think, is probably the most important why it's important to spend time in God's word, because it bears witness about Jesus. And if God is saying, abide in me, experience me, John 5, 39, he's saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's them that bear witness about me. So if we want to know God, the scripture is the first place to be. And mm-hmm. um, like you said a bit earlier at the very beginning, something, even a verse that we talked about in an episode with Israel couple weeks ago, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do we know God? That's a great question. How has God revealed himself in his word? So spend time in his word. That is the second practical habit in abiding in God and being transformed into the image of God. Absolutely. And man, if I go on a date with somebody and I'm the only one talking the entire night, at the end of the night, she's going to be like, I mean, he was there but I, I didn't know get to know him any better. That's like if we say we we're trying to get to know Jesus and we're trying to have a relationship with Jesus and not reading the word, mm-hmm. we can totally trust it. Our, our brains, our minefields, like we can listen to the Lord, but our brains can get in the way so much of the time. This is the only, the scriptures is the only way that we know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is how he masterfully chose to reveal himself. Mm-hmm. So could go on and on and on like for on that all day. <laughs> uh, and Alex will do many more podcasts about that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, moving on to number three in our list, we're going to talk about time in prayer. Uh, we have so many uh, subsets of this of this one of just praying. So I'm going to talk about something that we're, we're putting it all in one together. It's called silence and solitude versus out and about. Uh, so silence and solitude for those of you who haven't heard is, um, is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. So you've kind of heard it, but, (laughs) uh, it's silence. Like you're not talking, you're not listening to things. You're, you're removing yourself from where the noise is. Uh, and then also solitude, like you're alone, like you're not with other people. Um, there could be other people like a stone's throw away or something like that, but you're alone and you're quiet. And the whole point of that is literally just to create space, create an empty space for the Lord to fill. Kind of like uh, Solomon built the temple and the Lord filled it. And the people of Israel built the tabernacle in the desert and the Lord came and filled it. 
uh, the Lord loves to fill the space that we create for him because he, he loves us and he wants to spend time with us. Silence and solitude is incredible, especially when done in long spurts. So I um, heard some pastors talking about doing day retreats or week retreats or weekend retreats of, of silence and solitude by themselves. And so I was like, oh, why not? I'll, I'll, if it gets me close to the Lord, like, let's try it. So I started doing these day retreats where I would just go out in the mountains and be alone. I would tell people where I was going. So I was being safe about it. Uh, and I would bring really just my Bible and my journal uh, and water and snacks. And that's pretty much it. And I would just sit and be alone with the Lord. Um, it's amazing how much residual noise can be in our minds mm. that needs clearing out. So have you ever had like the radio, your Bluetooth connected to the radio, mm-hmm. but you're not playing any music. And then uh, you kind of can barely hear this like slight little like fuzz sound. Yeah. And then you hit mute and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this type of silence existed. <laughs> um, that's kind of what silence and solitude can be like is, is we get out there and we're quiet. And then for the first hour, two hours, who knows how long, it's just my mind is racing and I'm just running through thoughts with the Lord. I'm writing down as much as I can to try and just clear out my mind to create space for the Lord to, to meet me there. And those have been some of the most beautiful times with the Lord where he has led me through his word. He has uh, whispered to me. He's helped me to experience his presence and nature uh, met me in such incredible ways. And sometimes you don't even feel the, uh, the benefits of it until the day after. So some days I'll have like a day retreat and I'm pretty disappointed when I go home. I'm like, man, I would, I'm, I expected more fire and lightning, you know, like mm. Mount Horeb kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I go home and the next couple of days I notice, like, man, I just feel lighter because I just prayed and I let everything out to the Lord. Alex, would you like to add anything to silence and solitude? Yeah, I love that. And I actually, if it's okay, I'm going to read the Luke 22 verse that we have in the outline. Go for it. Uh, Luke 22, Jesus is coming out and going, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And I love this verse when it relates to silence and solitude in prayer. Again, this third habit, time in prayer, we're going to be sitting on this habit for a little bit because there's a lot of subsets of ways you can practice prayer. And this one that we're discussing, silence and solitude, is seen so beautifully in this Luke 22 passage when Jesus knows that he's about to literally go through the crucifixion. His decision is to withdraw from the disciples about a stone's throw and kneel down and pray. Solitude, he's withdrawing from them and silence. No one is yelling at him. No one's talking to him. He's just praying. So I think what's important is silence and solitude isn't godly in and of itself. A lot of unbelievers can really enjoy silence. It's really good to get away. Um, But this third habit is prayer. So it's praying to God, listening to God, being with God, communing with the Lord. Sometimes that looks like praying, talking. Sometimes that looks like just a casual, not a casual because it's holy to spend time with the Lord, but a understanding that you're with God. Kind of like when you're in the car for a long road trip with a good friend and maybe there's an hour where no one says anything. Sometimes those friendships are like the most sweet because you're like, I don't even have to work with this person. I can just be with them. I don't have to say anything. So the silence and solitude um, portion of time and prayer and an ability to practice prayer, I think is seen so beautifully in that passage. Yeah, that's that's really great. 
I, I love that. I love how you brought up the verse right before Jesus is about to die. He goes, he goes and spends time alone with the Lord and, and prays. And yes, all of this, the heart of it is to create space for you to pray and yeah. to be talking with the Lord, not just not just like letting your mind clear and writing out your thoughts. Like unbelievers can do that just fine. But the whole point of it is so that is to build up our prayer so that mm-hmm. we can better talk with the Lord. And, and when you are venting those things, like do it to the Lord, direct it to the Lord, um, which relates to another practice within that called the practice of the presence of God. This is a term that's coined by this monk named Brother Lawrence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so he was a, I believe, 17th century or 18th century monk who was just known for how he, uh, what he called practice the presence of God. So he described it like this. We should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. So this is kind of like the verses of pray without ceasing, pray constantly. Brother Lawrence goes on to describe this as like you're conversing with the Lord. You're directing your thoughts and kind of retraining your brain to direct your thoughts to God. And by that, you're you're reminding yourself that God is always with us. And those come from like John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit is with us forever. And then Matthew 28, Jesus finishes the Great Commission. And then he says, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The practice of the presence of God, I would almost rephrase to the practice of the promise of the presence of God. Mm. Of like we are we are aligning ourselves like with this promise that we know in scripture that Jesus has given us of like, oh, you are with me to the end of the age. So I am gonna live my life as if you're live with me right now. And so that is a just a great way to think about prayer and really simple. It's tough. You totally forget it. Like I'll be at work and then around three o'clock, I'll totally forget God even exists and just keep doing my job. And uh, I'll just I'll wake up to it in my brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to even talk to God, <laughs> uh, even though he was here the whole time. So if you choose to try and practice the presence of God, don't kick yourself too hard. It is difficult. It takes a lifetime to even to grow in, but the the fruit of it is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that so much. So finishing up this little part of time in prayer Silence and solitude versus out and about. The silence and solitude is very important. Get away, clear your brain, practice like Jesus does, and retreat from the world. Retreat from even your disciples Mm -hmm. or your closest friends and Mm -hmm. sit with God and pray. And if you're not in silence and solitude, you're out and about. And it's when you're out and about that you can practice that presence of God. And I love that you said that, um, practicing the promise of the presence of God, just realizing like, no, God's with me. Let's talk. Like, so when you're at the grocery store, when you're doing your job, when you go into the bathroom, about to go to sleep, at all of these moments, the Holy Spirit is living out time with you in the way you experience it. I think that's so cool that literally the God of all creation, the maker of time is choosing to sit with me 24 hours a day, every day, forever. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like he's only popping in when I talk to him. He's right. like sitting with me. Like when I'm just kind of bored sitting on my phone, if I realize that the maker of every molecule in my body is sitting in the room with me, that kind of changes the way I spend my time. Not that we should turn to this legalist and be like, oh, God's with me all the time. So I need to act and work. But like, <laughs> how cool is it that he experiences time with us like that mm-hmm. and practices presence, talk with him out and about. 
Mm-hmm. Another part of this um, third habit of time in prayer, very simple. Let's prayer journal. I have discovered prayer journaling to be something so awesome in my faith personally. Um, we don't see a ton of scriptures about this, honestly. A lot of people pray in scripture, and we see totally. those prayers written. We see Paul doxologying. We see several other writers doxologying, you know, giving um, encouragements and different prayers for the people in writing, but those prayers were also given by them in their own prayer time. They're just telling them, hey, this is my prayer for you. Prayer journaling is getting a piece of paper, getting a journal, and writing out a prayer to the Lord. It's as simple as that. And for me, it's so helpful because my mind is always running a million miles, a million miles an hour. And when I have a prayer journal, every word takes time. And every sentence takes time. And I really sit in the prayer and really mean the prayer and really soak in the meaning of what I'm saying. I would highly encourage you to do it. Austin, do you have any thoughts or do you want to move on to the next part? Yeah. Um, you you may be able to stretch it and say that the Psalms are prayer journals. Yeah. Uh, but beside that, prayer journaling is so helpful for me just because the way that my brain works, like I... I can't just think, pray all the time. Like my brain just goes crazy. I just go all over the place and writing it out really helps me to focus, but also to go deep with my prayer. Uh, I think when I, when I write it out, I notice things about my prayer, uh, about what I'm thinking or saying that I wouldn't have noticed if, if I hadn't done that. It's kind of like talking it out with somebody else. Like uh, I can re reread my prayer and be like, oh, why did I say that? Like, why did I say it this way? And then that'll help me understand if something's going on that I need to pray more about. <laughs> um, the prayer journaling has been great for helping me to understand myself, but then also to to remember the prayers that the Lord has been faithful enough to answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I've started doing this thing where I have a Google sheet and I'm trying to transcript all of my all of my notebooks. That's going to take a while, but especially the ones where I had a prayer that the Lord answered. Mm. Um, and so that is just such a beautiful, it's so such a great way to remember the Lord's faithfulness. Yeah. Um, so moving on to, let's see the next one. Uh, I believe we're on the fourth little subset of time and prayer. This one's called praying the word. So uh, this is where we are. The words that we are praying are scripture verses. Uh, so one a really pivotal place that we see Jesus doing this is actually on the cross. So where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is directly quoting Psalm chapter 22, verse one, which is so interesting. I'm sure pastors have dissected that from all angles. Uh, go look up John Piper's thing on it. I'm sure he'd, he'd do it better than I could, but, <laughs> um, but it's so good to pray the word of God for the second goal of, of transformation, I think, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so to give you a little bit of the biblical basis for that, G- when Jesus is giving is teaching the disciples how to pray, he's giving them the Lord's Prayer. He has them start out not with their, their needs or their asks, but just acknowledging who God is, mm-hmm. of his holiness, of like our Father who, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, one piece of that is aligning our will with the Lord, with the Lord's will. So praying the word can really help that. Uh, Also, the Psalms, obviously the entire uh, Bible is such a gift to us, but the Psalms especially uh, can be such a gift to us to help us process 
our emotions, our struggles, our situations in life, uh, because they can give words to us when we don't have words. Uh, it's almost like uh, in Romans 12 or, or Romans 8, sorry, talking about the spirit interceding for us on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. Uh, so the Psalms are kind of like the past version of that, of like, he already did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing to to be in a season where maybe you have just been betrayed by a friend or, or you feel like you're betrayed by a friend and you read uh, Psalm 22 or, or some Psalm where David is talking about that. It's like, oh my gosh, God, you you knew this was going to happen to me. You you wrote this for the revelation of your word, but also like partially for me, like for me to, to help me pray to you and and helping giving me the words to even pray to you, which is such a man, like he, he loved me enough to, to give me his word to help me in this kind of way. Yeah. Um, those are some ways that I have drawn a lot of life out of praying the word. Yeah. It's also kind of taking the um, stress off of my chest when I pray the word, the stress of, mm. am I praying according to your will? You know, mm. am I praying according to how you want me to pray? Because if I'm praying mm. the word, like you already said it, you know, it's like your will. It's your word. Mm-hmm. Um, going into another area of prayer we can practice is listening prayer. I'm going to refer everyone who's listening to the last two episodes that have been released on Roots uh, about calling and about God's calling. Nato and Nicole Barrett have been so good uh, in that episode. Um, but yeah, take prayer time to listen. Uh, the second episode deals more with that, the ones with Nauto and Nicole. All I got to say is that you should take some prayer time and listen. And obviously with listening, it's a little interesting because you also have your own conscience, your own mind saying things. So you need to watch out. That's why you need to pray the word. That's why you need to be in the word. So you're testing the things that you hear to the word of God so that everything checks out with the word of God and the revealed will of God. Quick, mm-hmm. uh, quick verse for this listening prayer, John 10, 4. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. So we know Jesus' voice because we're believers. So let's take time in prayer to listen, to see what he wants to say, if he wants to say anything. Amen. When we're listening, uh, we can't do that apart from the word of God, the gospel, testing it according Mm -hmm. to that. If I feel like I hear the Lord say something and then I look at it according to scripture and it's, this is clearly sinful, like, or if it's clearly against something that the scripture says, then that, that wasn't the Lord. Um, period. Uh, (laughs) so absolutely. Uh, but it it can be such a, such a blessing. And and like Alex said, it's, it helps to reframe how we think about prayer, less of a sending up a letter, but actually having a conversation Mm -hmm. and a dialogue moving on where, uh, the next part or the last part of our time in prayer is prayer poses. So this is uh, maybe getting a little charismatic, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, so totally doesn't have to be weird. It can be as weird as you want it to be. The Lord can be weird with you or the Lord can, it doesn't matter really. So prayer poses are just engaging your body in your prayer. Mm-hmm. I think it's really been helpful to pray in different positions depending on the time of, of life that I'm in or the, the way that I'm praying. To give an example, I think a couple months ago, I uh, just was really convicted by how I entered the presence of God. Like there's, I think it's in towards the end of Ecclesiastes, it might be Ecclesiastes 5, don't quote me on that one. But he says, guard your steps as you approach the house of the Lord. 
And so we're, we're supposed to have this awe and reverence of our Holy Father. He is our Father. We can run him whenever we want. We can run with him, run to him with boldness. But I was just really convicted that I wasn't thinking about the holiness of God. Mm. So to kind of use my body to help retrain my brain, I just started kneeling more. I would just get down on both my knees when I prayed and I'd be like, Lord, like you are, you are my king. And I would pray whatever I was going to pray. Or if I was just really feeling like I needed to do a lot more, I would just get, I would be prostrate on the ground. I would just be face down. Like the scriptures describe people who who end up in the presence of the Lord. I think in Revelation, uh, it says that John just fell flat on his face in the presence of Jesus. And so I was thinking about that, but also it could be other ways. Um, Jesus, when he blessed his disciples in Luke 24, 50, he lifted up his hands and he you know how we see people blessing uh, other people? Like he lifted up his hands towards them, his palms uh, stretched out over them as if he were like laying his hand on their heads. Uh, and then he was he was doing that uh, as a way of showing that he was blessing them, not just speaking it. Yeah. Um, I've heard of other ways of praying with your hands, with your arms lifted up or praying with your arms out as if you're going in for a hug. So when I, whenever I feel like I, like, Lord, I love you. Like you, I know you love me. Help me to receive your love. Then I'll move my, my hands as if I'm trying to give him a hug. So it's, um, it doesn't have to be weird. It's just a way of getting your, your body involved in your prayer. Yeah. It's important to realize that opposed does not bring the spirit or bring mm-hmm. the affirmation or approval of God. Again, it's just for our benefit, just to get our totally. brains in the right spot and to get our spirits aligned with how we want to pray. If you're just chilling in an armchair with all your limbs splayed out, are you <laughs> going to be convicted of that? If you are, change your posture, change your pose, and then begin to pray. Okay, so hang tight, folks. We got three habits down. <laughs> I promise that not all these habits are going to take just as long. We wanted to spend a good amount of time on that third habit, the time in prayer, because there's so many ways that we can practice that habit in the time of prayer. And I hope that a couple of those stuck out to you in ways that you can practically take onward in your faith. All right, guys, that is going to be it for this episode of Roots. Like I said, I will be releasing the rest of the conversation next week. Big thanks to Austin for helping me out with this one. Uh, It was super fun to create. Um, And I pray that you guys um, were edified and encouraged with it. If you haven't yet, please leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. It genuinely helps us out, helps people who haven't heard of us before find out about us on the podcast. Let us know who you are, where you're listening from, as well as what topics in scripture would be helpful to you for us to cover. Visit us on Instagram at roots.pod. That is the best way to connect with us. Looking forward to hearing from you there. As always, guys, the whole reason we have done this podcast is that you guys might go to the Bible, read the text, and pray that God might open your eyes to see him for who he really is. Let your maker root you to himself. I'm excited to share the rest of the conversation with you guys next week. I will see you later. Mm